Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what? Hello and welcome to Sega Talk number 30. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone. And on this episode... We're going to be talking about Alex Kidd in Miracle World. But before we jump into it, I just wanted to make note that it's pretty crazy that uh, as we record this and release this, Shenmue 3 is coming out. So let's oh, yeah. just uh, take a moment to uh, take it all in. I mean, you have your copy in hand, right? Yeah, I do. It's a, Well, it's yeah. somewhere over there, but yeah. Yeah, and, and they actually, uh, I think it was either Deep Silver or someone was nice enough to send us a review code. But like you just got yours and mine's coming, so it's like, what do we do with it? I was, I was kind of hoping for a PC code so you know one or you or I could compare. But yeah, whatever. whatever. I mean, it's here. So uh, now people are complaining about the slipcover for Kickstarter exclusives. No one's ever happy anymore. I, I mean, I would have liked to have some like I told you, like just concept art or something just different. But I mean, it's not a big deal. The game came; they delivered it on the day that it came out. I thought they were going to screw that up. They didn't, so I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. So, uh, applause. Um, and so, I guess speaking of franchises that were dormant for a long time, but in this case, it looks like we're not getting a new installment. We're talking about Alex Kidd and Miracle World, released in 1986 to the Sega Master System. Alex Kidd in Miracle World is a Mario-inspired platformer and Sega's attempt at introducing a brand mascot before they finally saw the success of Sonic the Hedgehog. Despite being a footnote for much more popular platforming characters, Alex Kidd is a fun and unique franchise in its own right. So I'm going to ask you, George, what was your first exposure to Alex Kidd? And did you always see him as a precursor to Sonic? Um, I didn't. I mean, I wasn't into Sega that far back, right? The Master System era. I feel like there's like, and I know there's a lot of people when I started Sega Bits, they're always used to tell me when I wrote articles that I should do more Master System stuff. But I didn't really grow up with a Master System. I did get a Master System like later on in my life. And one of the first yeah. games I played was the first Alex Kidd game on it. Um, I thought it was really basic as a game. I never really thought of him as Sega's like mascot because I feel like you have to earn the name. The I mean the mascot name. Like you have to be a game that sells a lot of copies and moves the console to me to be a mascot. I guess he could be a mascot, but was the Master System like? Did the Master System really feel like it? he was the mascot of the master system you know that's a good question because i i i didn't put that in the notes here but it's something i didn't want to discuss um and we can get into it so yeah it's like what is a mascot so a mascot is a character that not only exists in some form of form of media like a tv show a movie a video game but they also represent the company and Sometimes there's ones that people call like the unofficial mascot because the company itself hasn't really embraced them. And other times they have ones where it's very clear, like Bugs Bunny, Warner Brothers, Mickey Mouse, Disney, yeah, Sega, Sonic, Mario, Nintendo. Like you'll see them appear next to the logo on brand materials. I mean, heck, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog's eyes appeared on the Hint Hotline logo on almost every american dreamcast disc like he was everywhere yeah and, and yeah was alex kid the same thing for the master system and questions. that's a good question and i i honestly i don't think he was i think alex kid you know it's tricky because i i think alex kid was never created to be a mascot i think after the success of the first game the team probably was trying to push him as a mascot but I personally don't think Sega embraced him. Yeah, I mean... It was, yeah, it was a very short period of time. I mean, Alex Kidd, this game came out in 1986, and between 86 and 89, he had six games. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so I feel like they were throwing stuff at the wall, and I feel like we're just ending this episode now. But, okay, you know, like, you. I, I feel like they were just throwing stuff at the wall and 
I think the team was hoping that it would stick so that they would make their mark. Um, but I think really it was, you know, uh, the consumers, the audience, whatever, just didn't latch onto him. And Sega didn't give him that extra push. They didn't give the Sega treatment where he was like next to the logo or on materials. So yeah, that's, um, I'm glad we're talking about this now because really I, we don't touch on Alex Kidd as a mascot in this episode. And I think it's because of that. Like he, I think when Sonic came into being retroactively, people started to say Alex Kidd was the first mascot because there were so many games featuring him right before Sonic. But then again, you could say that about Opa Opa. I mean, Opa Opa was very prevalent and, as you can see on the Sega Bits logo, like we've embraced him because I think he's an awesome looking character. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. But like, so yeah, I've seen people make lists like these are Sega's old mascots. And it's always these things where it's like, okay, I can see why you would consider that a mascot. But like, I never really felt like Alex Kidd was like, like I said, you said on promotional material, it wasn't like they did a huge advertising campaign like Sonic the Hedgehog did. Like right. When they pushed Sonic, it was very obvious they pushed Sonic. There's a reason it became so big. There was a huge media push. Alex Kidd, it felt like this is kind of like Mario for the Master System, so the kids that grew up with the Master System saw him as Mario. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of... And you know what? The first game is actually really... I mean, are we going to get into the first game and our history with it? Oh, for sure. Um, I did want to mention, too, Professor Asobin... That yeah. was that would be what I would refer to as an unofficial mascot. So if people don't know, he was this little white rabbit. He looked like the white rabbit straight out of Alice in Wonderland. And he only appeared in Japanese SG-1000 game manuals as like a little character. I feel like that's more mascot. He's more of like the SG-1000 mascot as like the introductory professor telling you about the game you're playing. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. in that regard... Even though he's referred to as an unofficial ass mascot, As Professor Asobin, I feel like, is more of a mascot than Alex Kidd ever was, just in terms of how Sega presented him and embraced him. Because when you look at the manual appearances, Sega Retro has a great list. There's, I don't know how many, but this has got to be close to 100. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you get the game, your SG-1000 game, you see this rabbit. Anyway... So, uh, good discussion. All right. <laughs> uh, so, the game was developed by Sega R&D2, the team behind hits like Shinobi and Fantasy Star, which have both been Sega Talk episodes, yeah. and several console conversions of popular Sega arcade games. According to Mark Cerny, who later set up the Sega Technical Institute in Sega of America, the company was a sweatshop. Uh, most of the time, a game only had three months of development and three main developers. The hardware engineer, Hideki Sato, who we've talked about before on the show, um, said much of the same, uh, lacking, a, lacking behind the experience, ugh, lacking behind the arcade experience of the company. So the team was a sweatshop. They pushed out tons of games and they lacked arcade experience, which is why they were mainly the console team. Um, we've covered R&D 2 games in the past, so we're not really going to get into them. But what are your thoughts on them being referred to as a sweatshop? You know, it it really makes sense if you think about it. Like, um, it really felt like at this time, Sega wasn't all in on the consoles. And I think it took them a long time. Like, even if you play a lot of the SG... The SG uh, the 1000, is that what it is? The early, early one? The yeah, one that came yeah. out in 83? A lot of the games feel like they were just put together really quick to see, like, the general audience or, like, they're copying aspects from other games um, that were popular at the time. And I felt mm -hmm. like they took this approach with the Master System. Like, they said, oh, Alex Kidd is the kid version of Mario, and it's a platformer. And mm -hmm. uh, do it in three months. So, I, you know what? Calling it a sweatshop, I could see it. Obviously, Sega grew with the Genesis, and part of everything they changed was probably putting more time more right. budget, uh, more developers on, on projects, but you could you could tell a lot of these Master System games were like very rough around the edges. I think a lot of early NES games have this problem too. Um, I think there's very special companies that you know figured it out early that you have to put more time, more money, and more uh, developers 
But are you? I mean, I'm surprised that that Sega had sweat like sweatshops, right? What right. I'm thinking is like three people working 18 hour shifts uh, trying to get this game out. Is that what you think too? Yeah, and I mean, you look at their gameography, and it's really there's a lot of hits in here, but it's really just like they try to hit every genre. They try to fill the SG-1000 and the Master System with as many games from different genres as possible in order to like beef up the library. And so in that regard, I do think they were a sweatshop. I think they were told, make a flight game. So they made F-16 Fighting Falcon, made a baseball game, great baseball. There's great soccer. There's uh, Hang On, which is an arcade conversion. Transbot, which is a Transformers ripoff. My Hero, which is a fighting ripoff. Like, there are some... I mean, I think they did put art... And, and artistic creativity behind a lot of these games. I'm not calling these games like uh, shovelware, but I do oh, yeah. think that they were given limited time, limited resources, and they pushed out the best game that they could. Of course, there are titles that are, you know, obvious uh, classics like Fantasy Zone, uh, Fantasy Star, um you know, but nothing else is really jumping out at me here. Like a lot of these just look like decent arcade conversions or games that are fun, but there's nothing too special about them. Yeah. And I I feel bad saying that, but like you look at this list and it's just like, it's a bucket of decent games. Like if you put half these games into a compilation of their own, where it's like a mini game compilation, it'd be awesome. But that's really what this kind of reads like is a list of mini games to me. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to put down the studio, but obviously no. a lot of things go into making a studio like Sonic Team. Like Sonic Team without resources would just been Alex Kidd, right? Right. And you could tell that uh, this is early Sega, obviously 1986, when mm-hmm. they really didn't really even have a console that, or even knew if the console market was even that great. Like this is also the time when Nintendo was really just bringing back the console market with the NES when everybody thought it was a kind of a bomb and everybody was trying to make computers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, well, let's talk about more positive things. So Alex Kidd in Miracle World is one of the more popular SMS games. No doubt helped because the game was included as a built-in game on the Sega Master System consoles made in the late 80s and early 90s. What are your thoughts on the Master System having built-in games uh, do you think this is some a practice that game manufacturers should have continued? And if you got a master system, would you and you turned it on, would you be happy to see Snail Maze or Alex Kid? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Snail Maze, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as uh, having built-in games, that blew my mind. I have the one that has Hang On, I think, mm. and uh, another one. I don't, I don't know what the other game is. Yeah, there might be one game. I'm not sure. But I remember when I first got the Master System, and I didn't know anything about it. You know when you explore, like, old consoles? Yeah. And, like, you don't know it. This is when I didn't know anything about the internet. I plug it in, and I'm, like, I didn't know that you could do that. Like, my friend had to tell me. I only had one game. I think I was, like, Black Belt. So I would play that. And then uh, one of my friends like, you know there's another game built inside it, right? And then he, he told me, and then, yeah, he figured it out. I didn't figure it out. I would That's probably crazy. never... I probably would have never even figured it out myself until the internet, probably. But it is cool. I think it's something that other companies... I guess we kind of do have that now when you buy bundles like the Nintendo Switch with a digital version of the game. Yeah, yeah. But this is old school. Like, I wish the Genesis did that. Like, oh, you buy it and then... But I guess they gave you the cart and the cartridge is obviously better. But, like... It was a cool gimmick, I guess, like having the digital version built into the game. You don't have to have anything in it. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and you didn't have to do any downloading. So, you know... Uh, the these... Game Gear would have worked really well with that. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been cool. Um, I'm just thinking, like, you know, I, I bought the Wii U and it was the Wind Waker bundle, but that had a code. So nothing was built in. Um, I'm really trying to think, like, yeah, it's just, it's not a practice that is done now and it's something sega only did once other built-in games included hang on hang on safari hunt which you probably have yeah that's the one yeah yeah missile defense 3d alex kid in miracle world and sonic the hedgehog 
I personally prefer Snail Maze because it's the only one that doesn't have a release outside of the built-in. So makes it special. <laughs> but um, I think it's a cool practice and it definitely probably helped uh, Alex Kidd get known because you buy it, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you're going to get Alex Kidd. And who created Alex Kidd? So Kotaro Hayashida is credited as the creator of Alex Kidd, working under the pseudonym Osaru Kota. And if you remember, uh, Japanese companies would not give the real name for employees because they were afraid rival companies would snipe them and pay yeah. them more, <laughs> which kind of sucks. It's like, can you guys use a fake name? We don't want you to get paid more. Um, and uh, he also worked on Fantasy Star as a scenario writer, as well as Woody Pop, Zillion, and Fantasy Zone, though I don't know what role he played in those games. Alex Kinn and Miracle World originally began development as a licensed tie-in game based on uh, Dragon Ball. Did you know this? No, I didn't know that, but it kind of makes sense because like, I remember when I was uh, when they showed other art for uh, Alex Kidd, sometimes I've seen it with a tail. Yeah. I want to say, or like him looking kind of like a monkey. Yeah, yeah. So it would make sense because uh, Kid Goku in obviously Dragon Ball is based on Chinese mythology, which is obviously a, what, ape guy yeah. thing. Yeah. Exactly. So. And uh, so during development, Sega lost the Dragon Ball license and were forced to rework the game into an original property. So Alex's design, it resembles a monkey, like you mentioned which is no doubt a remnant of the Dragon Ball concept. He had large ears and sideburns. However, the Western releases had cover art playing up a plucky or sarcastic-looking, like, kid. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, like, like an American kid, like a fat little jerk. And, uh, well, never stated by Sega, the Western Alex appears to play up the bad boy trope that was popular in the late 80s and 90s. This is my own commentary. Uh, and so that kind of evokes like Kelvin and Hobbes, which was big at the time, Dennis mm -hmm. the Menace, which had a resurgence and was actually, I think, uh, animated by TMS Entertainment in Japan. And then uh, Bart Simpson, which came late 80s after Alex Kidd, but still kind of building off of that bad boy trope. So wh which direction do you prefer? Do you think more like the Americanized bad boy or the monkey boy who's kind of like Goku? Um, that's actually kind of a hard one. I would say, well, now in hindsight, obviously I would go with more of the monkey Goku, like wholesome good boy, because like, kind of like Sonic already took that, like yeah. he's that character. So if you're going to like characterize, um, him, he should probably be that the yeah. Japanese version, because like, if you just come in and you're exactly like Sonic, you're just basically the Kirkland version of Sonic. So you're just like. People like Sonic already, dude. Don't be the cheeky one. Yeah, and it also evokes uh, later games like Kid Chameleon, which, you know, people mm. like it, but it definitely is not a character that stuck. That's um, a weird one, right? Because, like, it kind of got popular more now because of, uh, I guess, speedrunning. There's a lot of speedrunners that run it. Mm, mm -hmm. It's one. So it's one of those things that people like to watch people play. So... That's yeah, weird. that's interesting. And, you know, in the, in the end, the American version did not, the game itself didn't change that much. The only difference was he was eating those um, triangular rice, rice uh, wrapped in seaweed, but in the American yes. game, he eats a hamburger. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> the extent What's... of changes. Um, you know, it's funny how uh, they do that, right? Like, oh, American kids cannot understand uh, Japanese dishes, so we have to change it to hamburger. I know, right? And that's totally something they did at that time, but it's also something Sega later would do, like, in the mid-2000s, you know, where they just were like, um... Capcom did it with, like, those Phoenix Wright games, too. Oh, so. that's true, too. That's so stupid. Like, we understand what they're doing. Yeah, that was so confusing, because when I'd play Phoenix Wright, I was like, this is clearly Japanese, but they're talking like they live in L.A. or something. Uh, yeah. Weird stuff. But, um, yeah, I... I, I definitely think, I think neither one of those is very marketable. I think the bad, like they did a terrible job on the American cover art, introducing him as like a kind of a bad boy. Yeah, and he didn't look that I bad. Also, I also think that this like 
if they went full on Japanese, I don't think it's as uh, like relatable as Super Mario. You know, because it's like, oh, and it's an Italian plumber. He likes spaghetti and he goes through pipes. But in this one, it's like, oh, it's a like, like, is this Japanese folklore? And he's a little boy, but there's a kingdom. And like, what's going on here? And when you take into effect the uh, into account the Dragon Ball connection, it's very clear that it's like at some point they made that shift. And so not to downplay the contributions of Kotaro Hayashida, but I have to wonder, like, at what point did he come in to change this game and how much of this is his inspiration? How much of this is just him taking what was there with Dragon Ball and trying to rework it, you know? Yeah, it's it is kind of weird, right? The, I didn't know there was a Dragon Ball tie into this, but it, it would make sense because like it was really popular in yeah. Japan. So I could see it. I could see a lot of people trying to capture. It, but like, what do you think changed the most out of it? Like the character, like you said, I always got invoked the monkey vibe, I guess, from him. And yeah. So, so now that you brought it up, I was like, oh, it's kind of obvious if you look at him. Yeah, he looks like a little Goku, and he's looking well. You know what? Let's get into the plot. I'll read the plot and then we can decide how close this sounds to Dragon Ball. So the plot is as follows. A young martial artist named Alex Kidd one day learns of a villain named Jankin the Great, who has defeated King Thunder of the city of Redaxian, who has kidnapped his son, Prince Eagle, and Eagle's fiance Princess Laura. Discovering that he is the lost son of King Thunder, Alex sets out to rescue the kingdom. On his quest, he defeats Jenkins' henchmen and retrieves various items, which lead him toward Jenkins, whom he defeats and sees turned to stone. Alex retrieves the crown, and the people of Redaxian are restored under the newly crowned King Eagle. <laughs> um, isn't that more like the folklore, I guess? I, I'm not sure what the folklore is, the story. I've never really read it. Um, like I know the, um, the monkey guy (laughs) yeah on the cloud yeah for sure yeah um yeah i'm not seeing a strong dragon ball connection there so i really do feel like it it started early on they probably were going to do a platformer based on dragon ball started some preliminary stuff with the punching and then got word and changed it because this definitely does not feel like an 11th hour adjustment to like a dragon ball plot Having said that, I think this plot sounds kind of overly complicated. Like, you look at a lot of games that became super popular, and it's like Mario rescues the princess from Koopa or Bowser, you know? Like, that's it. But, I don't know. What do you think? It, it, you know, it kind of feels like the developers only had three months to make this plot, and they just like kind of like scribbled it down, and they're like can we have an editor check this for me? And then the editor didn't even read it and just put it in the manual. Like the story Mm -hmm. could have been simplified. Like if somebody actually went in and read the story and went like, look, can we just simplify it to a couple sentences? But I feel like this is the problem a lot with Japanese stuff. Every time I play a Japanese game, I feel like when you get into the instructions of how to do anything, they put like three pages and it's really just press X to jump and press the action button to open up a box. Right, but they always have to explain it in three long pages, like every little intricate thing about it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, that's just I don't Japan. Know. Yeah, it, just reading the description here, like they could have cut out the whole thing with the prince and the princess, and just have it be Alex Kid discovering that he's royalty and having to rescue his father. Like that's easy enough. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know who these other characters are, but yeah, apparently they. I didn't have... know. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, apparently the manual has like super deep backstories for all these characters. So I have to wonder if this is like a passion project for um, for members of the team. And they were just like, let's get out the craziest story possible. And maybe we're going to become bigger. You know, going back to what we were saying with the sweatshop thing, you have to wonder if every game they gave it their all because they wanted to break out of that sweatshop routine and become the team that made that huge game that was super popular. I'm sure. You know I mean? I'm sure it was kind of like AM2 didn't just start not being a sweatshop. I'm sure they had, you know, they did championship boxing, and then they finally got more budget, and they did, you know, stuff like Outrun. 
Yeah. So I could see them thinking, oh, we just need one game. And they probably thought, this is it, Alex Kidd. Mario's huge. Is this going to be <laughs> Sega's Mario? And they probably came up with a bunch of backstory. And they thought they were going to have toys and all that stuff. Maybe even an anime. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I was reading the Patreon comment. We just got a Patreon comment as I oh. uh, as we were recording this. Um, so the game itself, let's talk about gameplay. This is actually a game you can play. It features 17 levels with some moving horizontally, some vertically, and some in four directions. So compared to Super Mario Brothers, this was pretty impressive at the time. Alex used what is called the shell core technique. So here's more overly complicated stuff to punch and break rocks with giant fists. Breaking star blocks would usually give you money. Question mark blocks gave items such as the bracelet with energy waves. And Alex's base attack was short range. So items were very helpful. But watch out. Some blocks release enemies that hunt you down. With other platformers at the time in mind, how does this sort of stage layout and attack method in Alex Kidd compare? Can you repeat the question again? Sorry. Oh, no problem. So with other platformers at the time in mind, how does this sort of stage layout and attack method in Alex Kidd compare? I mean, I can't think of any game that had that, especially kind of like the rock, the rock, paper, scissors aspect or any like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the bl- the block stuff obviously Mario uh, yeah the easiest one um, instead of uh, I always thought it was interesting though that instead of like jumping on the things or hitting it with your head obviously because Nintendo made it because it's probably the most unviolent thing to do they uh, they literally you just punch things I always thought that was pretty cool and it made him I guess because he is a martial artist so it would make sense right that he would just punch everything yeah but. I'm surprised that, I don't know, I'm just surprised that, I mean, there's nothing really surprising. It's just a platformer, instead of jumping and hitting things with your head, you hit them with your fist. <laughs> I, that's what I, that's all I got out of it. And then, like, the death thing was kind of annoying, but, you know. The block thing, I noticed that they, they did everything kind of, like, surprising. Like, you hit this block, you get a surprise. You uh, do rock, paper, scissors, you got to kind of guess, right? Yeah, it's, um... There is a little sense of like discovery to the gameplay and that's not a bad thing because it keeps you coming back and learning new, you know, new, new ways to play new moves. Um, I think the inability to like jump on characters was a mistake because I think it worked so well with um, Mario before this and Sonic later on to have this sort of idea where you feel for a moment, you know, you're safe. Like I'm going to jump on their head. I'm going to be good. Uh, but with Alex Kidd, it's like the short range attack. If you mess up, you might get killed. <laughs> and- oh yeah! In hindsight, they should have made him uh, be able to also jump. Because I mean, I don't know. There's something satisfying about the jumping on an enemy, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think Nintendo figured that out, and they did a good job. And it's just like you said, uh, the range of the punch didn't feel right. It felt like you, if you mistimed it, you get punished. Yeah. Um, and, and with Mario, it wasn't always the case. If you missed, you overlaunched yourself, you could just run, keep, continue running and not get hit. Yeah. And I mean, you definitely got punished because, uh, yeah, so the, the game had one hit deaths, which we'll mm-hmm. get into. That really sucked. But um, there, there was some cool stuff. So like in Fantasy Zone, which was another R&D2 game, Players could use their collected currency to purchase items, including the famous, uh, oddly named Pedicopter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you pedal, it's like your foot, and I get it, but I think people are like, mm, he's a little boy, pedophile, they make the jokes. I don't write oh, these jokes. Oh, I, I didn't know. You know. I didn't know there was a joke about that. I, I, I just, that I was... remember when All Stars Racing came out and they were like, oh, he's like a little boy in a pedophile car. Like, what is this? And I'm like, no, it's the Pedicopter. It's a. Never mind. I never even thought of that. That's that's interesting. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I, I heard about. I, I heard know. people commenting. They're like, "Who is this?" It's like a little kid. Anyway, uh, so Sega they seem to like this RPG inspired item shop feature in their platforming and shoot 'em ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was maybe a developer thing. But what are your thoughts on including an item shop in these types of games? 
I mean, I never really thought about it, but like now that you mention it, like Nintendo games never have that kind of stuff, right? They never have like item shop collecting. I mean, you don't use the currency for coin in Mario for anything. You don't buy upgrades or anything, right? Um, I I guess it's something that came out of the arcade. I'm trying to think. I don't know where it even would come from, but I mean, a lot of games now have that. If you think about it, like Assassin's Creed, yeah, uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. It's all about leveling yourself up and finding. And getting new items, right? And uh, yeah. Sega games kind of had that in a, I guess not as a in depth. Like it wasn't like you you get longer range for your punch or anything like that. But you got items to make the games easier for you. So yeah, that's and, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting because Sega would make these games that were incredibly difficult, but you know you read any strategy guide for like Alex Kidd or for Fantasy Zone, and time and time again they will say. You need this item to win, otherwise you're not going to win. And I think that was a little. That's pretty cheap. Like, yeah. If if I need an item to beat Fantasy Zone, or if I need an item to make Alex Kid playable, like that's a problem. And I feel like, and I think it's been proven that when platformers employ this, they become, they don't become very popular games in the long run. Like we don't talk about games like Alex Kid, and as much as I think the developers would have wanted us to. And I think it's no. because they would make decisions like that. Yeah. I mean, we even did a pool, right? We're still doing a pool right now on there, but we have 567 votes. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And, I, and it says Sega's mascot is, and this is first one's Alex kid. I put it on the top. So most people could vote for it, but uh-huh. it only got 9%, 60% Sonic the Hedgehog, 26% Kazuma Kirio. And Asobin oh, the rabbit got four. So <laughs> you talking about the manual, it doesn't matter to people on the internet. They remember Alex Kidd more. I mean, obviously, because yeah. the Master System came out in America and uh, the SG-1000 did not come out in America. But uh, it is, it, like you said, it, most people don't remember games that do kind of stuff like this or they're kind of cheap. But, right. I mean, it's kind of hard for us to, like, talk about what was going on in 1986 when we were basically, like, had no memory or weren't even born. So, it's like, I could see people that grew up with a Master System getting really angry at us. And it's like, this is why I like it. This is why I like it. Um, but, to me, it's like, in hindsight, uh, I mean, when you look at all the background, the sweatshop talk... Mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious that like they try to do the best they could and there's obviously mistakes that would have been i guess fixed if they had a, a longer period of time to like figure this out yeah for sure and you know when when we do the research on these episodes sometimes we dig deep other times you know we we do we do what we can but i think in the case of these r&d2 games uh we don't usually get a lot of development history and that's because i like you know we've noted they have a really fast turnaround time and there's no story where it's like when we were testing Alex kid, we realized that people playing had trouble with the one hit death. So we employ, you know, like there's no testing, there's no refining and you get that a lot with Sonic the Hedgehog. Like we, even now we're seeing these um, revision one revision two, you know, test one that went out to uh, continue consumer electronics show you don't get that with these games i think what we see is pretty much what we got i don't think there exists i mean there probably exists like early versions but when you look at the three month turnaround time what's the early version like month one you know yeah yeah uh so it's interesting so you know if it sounds like we're being down on this game it's because it is a game we didn't grow up with we came to later on and it, I honestly think it is a game that's too difficult for, you know, it, it could have been easier. But wh- who am yeah. I? What am who, I? Uh, yeah, who am I? And who I think the I? developers were kind of like not even sold on the gameplay because I, I, I feel like Alex Kidd, even though they had like a thousand games, it, they, they experimented with the game and the ideas behind it, like uh, putting them in Shinobi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually really liked that game. I don't know. I had fun playing that game. I mean, it was super easy and the level design wasn't the best ever. But I always thought, I don't know. I was always a fan as, a, you know, being a little Sega fanatic growing <laughs> up. That like yeah. putting two franchises together, that like, that's like a that's like a Sega fan wet dream, you know. Like even if it is Alex Kidd and Shinobi, you know. 
And it was almost like an R&D 2 All-Stars game when you think about it. Yeah, it's like I wish they did that with Sonic. Like, it would be cool to play a Sonic Shinobi game or Knuckles Shinobi game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you mentioned the boss fight earlier. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the boss battles are unique to this game. Instead of a straight fight, players play Jankin, which is rock, paper, scissors. And while it's mostly luck-based, like I mentioned earlier, there's an item that allows you to read the enemy's mind for greater chance of success. So, again, here's this item where it's like, if you get this item... You'll beat the game. So easier, you, you, you know? what's the point of having it, right? Like my, my thing is like you don't wanna leave it to chance and play the game all over again, get the item, right? right? That's the whole exactly. aspect of it. And um, did you think this was a fun and unique way to battle bosses, or do you think it was a bit of a cop out? Uh cop out. That was actually my least favorite aspect of the first game. I like I like I mean, the platforming wasn't perfect. It was like it had like this like weird feel, cheap feel to it when you jump up and down compared to like the physics in you know Sonic the Hedgehog or Mario, where they are kind of very unique. Yeah. Um, but it was palatable, you know, and I and I enjoyed it well enough. But then when you get to the boss battles and then you die, and you're mm-hmm. like, what? What is this? So I just picked wrong, and that's it, right? I'm dead. Um, right. Yeah. That, and then you have to start all over again, especially when you make it so farther and farther to get to the end. It kind of becomes a hassle. In a, you know, so I don't know. I wish they would have actually had well-designed boss battles instead of just playing rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, exactly. There was never any story of like each boss is unique. They have different methods to beat. Uh, it's all platforming based. This one's it's kind of obvious that in the crunch time, instead of developing cool unique bosses like you'd see in like sonic or even a treasure game you know where each one's unique this one's just like oh they look different but it's just like a randomizer yeah (laughs) i mean we i mean and then we look at mario um yeah the first mario game right um all the boss battles are literally the same thing right so maybe it's a thing of time but you look at late yeah, I actually, I actually prefer the the just having a bad guy and you have to get over the bad guy in each one and repeat that yeah. instead of like having to just randomly hopefully get the right uh, guess right in rock paper scissors. Yeah, and I, I mean, if they didn't do the rock paper scissors, it's it would take out a big thing that makes Alex Kid unique, a big part of its identity. I just don't think it's the strongest part of the gameplay. Like, it sounds cool when we talk about it, when you read it in the manual on paper, but in practice, it, it does get a little old. It actually kind of reminds me of um, Mario 3, where they started doing like games like that, but it was more of a side thing to get, um, you know, items. Items, yeah. So it would be like a roulette wheel or it would be a matching card game. And I think that's fun. That's cool. And I think this is something that could have been added to the game as a bonus rather than as a way to progress and as a way to defeat enemies. I think this would have been a cool way to get items. I agree uh, with you 100%. Like, a, like an auction. So you go into this thing. It's like an auction house and they have the item. And then and didn't they do that in Enchanted Castle? I think so. I mean, I haven't played Enchanted Castle in forever. Isn't yeah. that, is, that's the one that came in the mini, right? Yeah, I'll have to play it again, but I feel like they if if that's what I'm remembering, that's kind of how they did it, but that that would have been cool in this. Um I think the big thing though is that uh the game really stumbled and some would say failed is the difficulty. So one hit deaths, limited continues, slippery controls, and the game is just not easy. And this is my own opinion, I'm pretty sure that people who say they played the game hardly played the game. And this they is coming from the, the the first level, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is coming from me. Like, we're talking about this game. I've watched video. I've played as much as I can. I've gotten as far as I can. Uh, even using like you know like uh, ROM like rewind features. I have not made it far in this game. And it's just it's a difficult game. And I'll be honest, like a big turnoff for me are one hit deaths. I was spoiled with Sonic, where you collect the rings, and it's like life insurance. Uh, Mario to me was probably the most difficult type of game I would play just because you still get that uh, it's like a two hit death system as long as you have that mushroom and so I don't know I mean do you think difficulty ultimately hurt Alex Kidd from being greater 
Um, and how far have you personally gone in the game? I mean, I beat the game by cheating, obviously, with safe states and stuff like that. I obviously yeah. cheat my way through it. Um, I mean, it's not worth it, to be honest with you. But <laughs> I will say I, I did it because I really, really like the history of Alex Kidd. Like, I really respect the idea that these studios put it on themselves to try to make this. But like you said, the turnaround was really short. Yeah. And that's the problem, right? When you have a sh- really short turnaround, you basically have a concept that sounds good on paper because you have it on paper only. And then you're creating mm-hmm. a game in three months and you have to ship it out. Of course, it's not going to be uh, very friendly to players. And yeah. you could, in, in this game, you could definitely tell. I do give them, I actually do like the kid and my favorite Alex kid. I don't know where this is going to be mentioning, but like, I really like his redesign for Sega Gaga. Like the the anime broke yeah, one in the store. Yeah, we'll get into that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Because uh, I always thought that was really, really funny depiction of him. And I would love to play a selling simulator where you have to sell stuff and own a store as Alex Kidd and you're just a cashier. <laughs> that awesome. would be cool. I mean, I, I'm going to say something a little controversial here. So, um, you know, you take a game like Alex Kidd, it it was worthy enough to become an episode of this show. Uh, people look back on it fondly. But it was a game that was, in my opinion, rushed, um, oh, yeah. imperfect, and not as great as the, the uh, legacy it left behind. Like, I, I think it's overrated. And I think... I don't hate the game, but I just, I don't think it's as great as people are probably remembering, which I think is, it's unfortunate because when you think of developer, like, okay, I'm going to mention a game that gets a lot of people angry. Sonic Boom Fire and Ice on the 3DS, right? Oh no, dude, what are you talking about? Fuck that game. No, I'm <laughs> but like, I feel like that game came out and I could pick any other game really, but I'm just mentioning that because it came to mind. That's a game that had problems in development, and instead of rushing it and just releasing it, they held off and they gave it another six months. And the game did better for that, and I actually think it's a pretty fun platforming game. Uh, do I think it's better than Alex Kidd and Miracle World? Yeah, I do. Like, I think it's Whoa. a, I think it's a much more fun game. I would gladly play through that than Alex Kidd. And I say this because I feel like... I don't know if it's maybe nostalgia talking or just the uniqueness of the the character design or what, but it's just, I, it's interesting that you can comp- take those two games and compare them. And one is seen as like a cheap cra- cash grab spinoff Sonic game that people don't like the design of. And the other one's this, uh, this new thing. But when you play both of them, Sonic Boom Fire Ice is better than the other. I don't know. You, oh, yeah. you get what kind of point would, I'm trying I, to make here? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I would agree with you. But then again, you're talking to people that have like nostalgic feelings for this yeah. game. Like, um, a lot of the people that I've talked to and I you know, I try to understand why they like it so much. And it, I think it's one of those things where they were just a kid and this is the, the game they played growing up. Like some of yeah. the fondest memories are tied to this game. Yeah. Kind of like me. We just happen to be Sega fans that were born into the height of Sega. And this is somebody that was born into Sega when they were barely starting, right? It's like Turbo on the the arcade in 19-whatever, you know, 81. Right. Very janky, but I have some... I like the history of it, and I think that's how I see Alex Kidd, too. That's a great point, too. And I I know people are going to say my my comparison there was not fair because it's two different eras. Um and I'd probably be better picking a game from the Master System to compare it to. I think I just came at it like that because it's two Sega games that I both approach pretty neutrally. Like, I don't look at Alex Kidd with fondness. I don't look at Sonic Boom with fondness. They just kind of, like, are there for me. And so if you stripped away the graphics and everything and just showed me the gameplay and how well it works for each of them, I would say Sonic Boom Fire and Ice is the better game. That's, I guess that was the point I'm making. Like, if you strip away all that stuff. And so I think Alex Kidd and Miracle World gets by a lot on everything but the gameplay. You're, you're trying to say, like, the opposite, kind of? Like, I think a lot of people would go, like... Well, what you're trying to say is, that, like, people are being harsh on Sonic Boom because they hate Sonic Boom and they hate yeah. the brand. Because yeah. they're born into the, the mess and the online, um, I guess... 
what do you say like groupthink yeah um, about how like oh sonic boom's trash look at look at the big arms and all this and all these redesigns and they're but they go around on twitter going like we need a new alex kid because it's the best franchise in the world exactly yeah okay. and I so it's you. like it's interesting because we have this game where everything but everything yeah exactly you said it very well there i don't need to repeat it that's yeah and so that's the point i'm trying to make and it becomes frustrating and i think it just it, i think it's a problem that kind of is exclusive to me and maybe you and people who do fan sites where you get inundated with this time and time again like it, we hear it so much like the hate that certain things get or the love certain things get yeah and Sometimes it wears you down. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so yeah. happy Shenmue 3 released because I was so tired of hearing people ask for it. Same. You know? Finally. <laughs> Finally. And I think people asking for a new Alex Kidd, I'm like, did you play the original? Like, did and, you uh, really play it? Did you ever see the guy that created the pixel art for uh, Owlboy? It's an indie game. The yeah. That guy, he made an Alex Kidd idea or like art style i thought that was pretty cool but it looked like a nintendo game kind of and when i hmm. edit this i'll put it on the screen so everybody could see it uh, on the video on youtube yeah. and uh so like there's there's a lot of people that work in the industry that have a font spot like a really soft spot for alex kid and i could definitely see nostalgia you know 1986 during this era i'm trying to think outside of nintendo anybody was was anybody making platformers that are noteworthy to you no. no that's what i'm saying so to me it's like i it kind of opens your mind a little bit right like you d- you why did, why i mean why people still remember alex kid i mean i feel like yeah. if everybody if it was like the 91 to 96 era alex kid would just be buried kind of like kid chameleon was oh no doubt so yeah that's just it's just the era right 1986 was a weird year dude yeah, most definitely. <laughs> uh, you have anything? Um, I, you have anything from the eighties you want to you you were gonna put in this episode? Eighties? Yeah, eighty eighty six. What what happened that year? I mean, besides the fact that like we got also Outrun, so like Outrun came out the same time as this game. Ferris Bueller's Day Off came out that year. Uh, Stand by me. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds like a lot uh, of bad boy stuff. Critters. Howard the Duck. Short Circuit. Yeah, a lot of snarkiness going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. So, I play. I was playing a little devil's advocate there. I do like the design of Alex Kidd. When I play the game, I want to love it. It's just that that system that holds me back. And so, I, anyway, I think, uh, at, I also yeah. think a lot of the the selling point, like you said, was the the idea behind it. Like. Mm-hmm. When you play, you feel like there. This world is actually kind of like interesting to get into, but I just feel like put together the way it was, it just did not deliver. That's just my opinion on it. I think if they re, you know, do like a reboot where they fix everything and they basically rebranded, uh, maybe I could see a thing. But I, I feel like we're kind of past that whole thing. Like it could be like a cute little indie platformer, kind of like I guess how Bugs. Bubs is coming up, making a comeback, right? <laughs> yeah, he is. Bubsy. Yeah. Good old Bubs. wonder what he's up to these days. I swear to God, uh, I, I swear that, that Twitter account that runs it, I swear they're like fishing for retweets all the time. It's funny. It's so sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so at the time of release, Alex Kidd and Miracle World actually saw very positive reviews. The game was described as Sega's answer to Mario and in later years, IGN reviewed the game as a retro review, I think in the mid-2000s, and gave it a 9, which surprises wow. me. Yeah. Who? Who IGN. IGN, the same IGN that uh, we always complain about. Wow, I'm surprised. Like, of all the games that you could... And that's like, hey, it didn't even make your top 100 list then? I don't know. Kind of weird. This is the same company that didn't put any Sega games in their top 100 list. They should have put Alex Kidd in there. I know, right? So this is from uh, 2012. Lucas Thomas wrote the article. And it was a nine. Amazing for the Wii. Editor's Jeez. choice. Uh, <laughs> so clearly an Alex Kidd fan. What would you rate the game? One and ten. Uh, between one and ten. Well, I mean, I, I you know what? People are going to get maybe angry at me. I would give it a, a six. 
I mean, maybe a seven because, like, honestly, at that time there was no other platformer that was even relevant that was not Mario. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would give it a seven just because there's nothing else even close to Alex Kidd. I feel like it's Mario and then everybody else that wanted to be it. I guess Adventure Island was around at the time. Yeah, which I think is a much better game. Yeah, much better game for sure. So, yeah, maybe six is fine. I yeah, I hate this episode. <laughs> I'd say at the time, it probably felt like a seven or eight game. But if this is like a retro review score, I'd probably give it a six as well. It's it's a game that needed more time. And it's a studio that never game, gave games more time. And so they got lucky when it came to stuff like Fantasy Zone or something like that, where it was just like, this game's awesome. I think they're very competent developers. I just think this was a game that deserved a little more time especially if you're going to make it a mascot platformer um that's your so, mistake right there like yeah yeah and i mean the game saw several re-releases though so you have no excuse not to play it it was in the i always like this name alex kid and company which is a vintage collection from m2 um and it had some it had hang on in it and i forgot what else another game it was just like a weird mix um and this came out for the 360 and PS3. Uh, the Wii Virtual Console also saw the release of the game, and it's readily available on at games consoles, which oh. I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, most recently, though, the game was released for the Nintendo Switch Sega Ages collection, and the re release features a new ranking system, Ages mode rewind option, and two time attack, ch- time attack challenge modes. So what is your preferred way to play Alex Kid, George? Uh definitely the Sega Ages release would be the way to go. It has safe states. Um it has extra features, uh fixes, you know. Um they do a well they do well to capture the audio. I think they have FM audio, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um so yes, definitely that's the way to go. If you really want to be hardcore and suffer, you could go ahead and play the Master System version uh, or even at the Ad Games version. I wonder which one's more painful, right? The at game sound of Alex Kidd or yeah. the just not having the safe state on the yeah. master system, but good sound. So I don't know. Pick. Yeah, I'd say Sega Ages is your best bet. That rewind option probably makes the game really fun. So as much as I was hating on it, I will. I really want to get my hand on the Sega Ages one because I can imagine you die, rewind. You know, yep. like. Some Easy people are peasy. against that. Some people are against that. But to me, it's like, man, I'm too old. I have too many games I want to play. Yeah. I don't have time to just sit here and, like, uh, die and then restart the game from the beginning and then die again. You don't have time to sit here and die. That's what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I'm already dying in real life. Slowly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all are. Uh, so Alex Kidd as a series it had six games, as I mentioned. Alex Kidd in Miracle World, 86 for the Master System. Alex Kidd, The Lost Stars, which uh, 1986 arcade, 88 Master System. Alex Kidd, BMX Trial, 1987 That's the Master System. One. What? That's the weirdest one. I know, BMX Trial, like out of, of, out of nowhere, BMX. Alex Kidd in High Tech World, 87 on the Master System. Alex Kidd in The Enchanted Castle, 89 for the Genesis and Alex Kidd in Shinobi World 1990 on the Master wow. System. So each game was quite different from the last, though Enchanted Castle is seen as a direct sequel to the original. Since 1990, the series has been series has been dormant. However, Alex has made cameos in Sega Gaga, yeah. Sega Hard Girls, All-Stars Racing, and All-Stars Racing Transformed. So what is your favorite game from the series? And what is your favorite cameo? Let's do favorite game first. I already said Shinobi World, right? Like, yeah. I, just because of it's a crossover and I played it and I, I just like it. I just like the Shinobi kind of like gameplay and the fact that it's kind of like a kid version of it is pretty yeah. cool. I thought it was cute. I thought he looked cute in the little Shinobi suit. So I go with that. Yeah, I, I have to echo you on that one. I thought that was pretty probably you know it's it's the last game in the series and i think they hit on what would have been really cool with alex kid where he enters different sega franchises and the game itself is like the kids version yeah so you could do alex kid in golden axe alex kid in 
Shenmue. No, <laughs> but um, <laughs> hey, he is actually a cameo in Shenmue. But um, you know that that's I like the crossover idea for them there. Um, I haven't played Lost Stars in a long time. I played it on an emulator, but I remember enjoying it and. From what I remember reading about the game, it sounds pretty interesting. I like that it's an arcade port and that it's it's interesting that Lost Stars was an 86 arcade game, which leads me to believe that this was not an R&D 2 game because they did console versions. They did not do... Uh... So who did this, actually? Yeah, I don't know who developed it. Um, and besides oh. that, I mean, hmm. as a mascot, like, this is something we talked about in the last episode, right? Puyo Puyo. We talked about how they wanted to call it, like, what, Puzzle Kids? It's like, yeah. what's up with, like, when, when they're like, this is for kids, they literally have to call the, the kid, like, literally kid, like, he's, he's yeah. a kid, man. Or, um, and also Alex, it's like such a weird name. It's like, Goku? Now we'll call him Alex. It's like the most <laughs> whitest Americanized name ever. They must have been playing off of like Billy the Kid, you know. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's true. Coulda. Um, what's your favorite cameo? Cameo. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we talked about it prior, right? Sega Gaga had the best one. I like yeah. his anime redesign. I think it makes it takes the design from this game. If you look at the cover of the American version, and really gives it that, like, I think perfects it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks adorable. It's pretty nice. And what's he doing? He's working like the checkout at like a video yeah. game store or something. Well, he lost his job as a mascot, so yeah. And we even argued if he was even a mascot. Poor guy, right? Um, yeah, yeah. He so works at it, a grocery store in the in the Sega Gaga universe. So it, at least it tells you there that internally at Sega, the develop the developers kind of saw him as a mascot. Um, yeah. At one time. I would say my favorite was... I forgot. Which game was it where he was a Christmas Day Unlock? Remember that? Christmas Day Unlock. I can't remember. I'm trying to remember, but I just can't. Was it Transformed? It was one of the All-Stars. I just can't remember which one, but... Yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool. Um, just... It, rem- it evoked, like, Christmas nights for me. And... Mm. I thought that was really cool that you had this. Uh, it's bothering me, so I'm trying to look it up. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, Alex Kid for All Stars Racing. Oh yeah, okay, yep. <laughs> I'm like, oh, these guys report on it's us, and I wrote it, so this is my yeah, words. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, right. Uh, so December 2012, Sega announced that. Uh, so they said this: Happy Holidays from Sonic and All Stars Racing Transformed. If you fire up Sonic and All Stars Racing Transformed on Christmas Day, you'll find a little surprise under your tree. Alex Kidd jumps into the race. He doesn't need to pedal to take to land, air, or sea. Two powerful Jenkenpon engines allow him to roar around like it's Christmas in Miracle World. So yeah, he had. A Christmas debut, and I believe in the original Transformed, wasn't he just like on a motorcycle? Yeah, right? and he looked kind of yeah. weird. I or, mean, his design, the sumo digital design. Yeah, they've never really nailed character models. They got a little better with the last game, but um, I thought that was cool. I like a gift, and it's it's something that Sega hasn't done for a while. Is like gift. holiday themed DLC that's yeah. free. Something I really um, liked about Adventure, you know. Yeah, well, someday. Nah, it's not going to happen. It's all pre-order bonuses. Uh, Should we wrap things up with our Patreon members? Yeah, let's close it up. All right, cool. So that was our uh, Alex Kidd and Miracle World coverage. But if you want to weigh in on the games that we cover on this show, you can support us on Patreon. Any level grants you the ability to leave a comment on the respective post asking for your memories. And so here we have Daniel Andres. He says, I got this game a long time back. I think it was about eight, 10 to 8 years ago. Oh, <laughs> 10 Okay, that's not that long. <laughs> that long. I mean, cons- considering that the game's 33 years old, I mean, it's not that long. Yeah, and considering Segabit's like, Twitter account just turned 10. Yeah. Uh, you're as old as the Segabit's Twitter account. Uh, he said, I really, really liked it but I have had troubles finishing it. I discovered it for the first time on Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection. Is it on there? I guess it is. Yeah. 
Um, I still have yet to play the Master System games. Maybe he's talking about Enchanted Castle. They're very similar games, though. Uh, I prefer Enchanted Castle. But, um, you know, check out Shinobi World. That's a good one. Um, Here we have Timothy Rogers. He says, I was much older when I discovered Alex Kidd and learned Sega had a mascot before Sonic. I played it on the PS3 for the first time, and I think the game is crazy hard, but I loved it. Hey. In the time of remasters and re-releases, now is the time. Give that thing to .emu after Streets of Rage 4 and let them at it. (laughs) He's going to hate this episode. Now is the time. Now, right now? No, I think you could, I mean, not to stretch this out, I think you could make a, a really cool kid game. Again, you just need more time. More time. Exactly. Like I was saying, the world seems inviting, and I think there's a reason people still talk about it, even even if it was supposed to be the mascot, right? Like, I, I feel like a lot of these people learned that there was a mascot mm-hmm. before Sonic, and then they play it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, happy 30 episodes of Saga Talk, George. And I can't wait to cover Snail Maze next time on... No, I don't think we will. But you can join us. And don't forget to support us on Patreon. Follow you us know on Twitter. You know what to do. Uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the iTunes and subscribe YouTube. Subscribe to iTunes. Like us Spotify. on Facebook. Thank Visit you. our website, sagabits.com. We're on YouTube. Instagram. See, see you guys in the next episode of Sega right. Talk. Talk. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>